Welcome along to the latest edition of the Forever Blue podcast. Uh, really delighted that uh, you're taking time out from your busy day to listen to us, whether it be on iTunes or Spotify or SoundCloud, which of course is the, the host podcast platform, whichever it is, wherever you're listening, wherever in the world you are indeed, you're very, very welcome to listen to us. Uh, I'm Ian Cheeseman and I introduce this podcast each and every week and I try to get wherever possible former player as our special guest and tonight Keith Curl was going to be former City defender Keith Curl was going to be the guest but unfortunately he's had to pull out at the last minute but you know what I've got friends in high places so I've managed to recruit somebody else who's prepared to give their time up tonight at a very short notice and that is Paul Simpson. Simo thanks very much for stepping in and replacing Absolutely. Keith Curl. Have you ever substituted for Keith Curl before? No, I've certainly been on the bench in Keith in games where Keith Girls play, but I'm not sure. I definitely have never slotted in at centre back. I can assure you of that. Anyway, being being a five foot seven midget, that's not my position playing centre back. But uh, no, thank you very much for inviting me on, Cheese. It's really good to see you. I can see, obviously, for those people, we we do put any of this video up that we can see you're in your office. Um, I think that's what yeah. that sign means behind there, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's my study, really. But my wife, Jackie, was just taking the mickey out of me saying, when I was at the FA and, and especially through lockdown, this was my office. I spent so many hours up here studying videos and doing projects that it did actually become an office. But being from Carlisle, it's my study, really. It's not really my office. And uh, you were at Carlisle when, of course, it got flooded. So you, at least your office isn't underwater, is it? <laughs> no, no. I did lose a lot of things in that flooding as well, by the way. But I, thankfully, a couple of the certificates that you can see behind me, I managed to get replaced by the, uh, by the FA and by the university. So thankfully, I, I saved them anyway. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, as well as Paul joining us at the last minute, we've got another Paul um, who's uh, back fresh, refreshed for the new year. I know he's had a little bit of a break, so uh, always nice to bring, bring uh, back in Paul. That's Paul from Prestige Car Repairs. And we've got Louisa who's with us as well today. So thanks very much to two members of the Forever Blue team. Now, we've just to let you, uh, you know, we're only going to have Paul for about half an hour because of the last minute nature of him joining us. So I'm going to concentrate on, on talking to Paul quite a bit in the early half an hour of the podcast but obviously we'll hear a lot more from Louisa and the other Paul a little bit as we go along that's not to say they won't join in this first bit uh, as well so let me start by asking you Paul first of all you are a football man you will have watched a lot of football have you seen the City ga games of late did you watch the game on Friday night at Swindon I did yeah I did um I mean, it, listen, they're just a different level, aren't they? It's as simple as that. They're, it doesn't matter who he puts out there. They're just producing performances. of. Um, they've just got a style about them, haven't they? They're so fluid in the way they're playing. And it doesn't matter whether it's a young 17, 18, 19-year-old steps in or whether it's a senior player. It's just seamless. And the, the football that they're playing is, is really, really good to watch. Um, and the other side of it as well, everything is, so, they've got such a good plan going on. It doesn't even matter if the assistant or Pep's not there, you know, Rodolfo steps in and he takes the game and everything just seems fine. And, and I know Swindon are not at the level of Manchester City, but the level of performance was really, really good. Um, really exciting. You look at players like Cole Palmer, I mean, what a finish that was for his goal. And, you know, the, if it was David Silver or, you know, one of these, they'd be talking about it for weeks and weeks afterwards. And, well, it's Cole Palmer. 
is is a young English player. It's just normal. Well, that's not normal. Sticking that in the in the stanchion like he did for that goal. So it's really good to watch, isn't it? Well, I'll come back to Cole Palmer if I can in just a moment. But just on you on a personal level, mm. um, I know you were involved with England for a while, and from the way you talked before, what are you doing now, Paul? Are you still involved in the England setup, or have you got moved on to other things? No, I uh, I left the FA in um, August of. 2020 um an ex-team an ex-player who played for me when I was manager at Shrewsbury got the Bristol City job Dean Holden and he asked me to go along um to be his assistant and I suppose that just goes to show what an old git I am now that he's asking me to go as an experienced coach to go and help him um but I really enjoyed it I spent a, a good few months with Dean and then he lost his job Nigel Pearson came in and took over um and everything seemed to go be going fine, but then once I, I had um, so I had about six, you know, nine weeks off altogether in the summer because of this um, this sort of illness that I had. I, I find it really hard to call it an illness because I wasn't ill. And Jackie always says to me, "You were ill. You had cancer, so you were ill. Don't don't play it down." But anyway, I had nine weeks off. When I went back after the surgery. Um, it just didn't feel right to me. The dynamic had changed and Nigel's Nigel's really, really experienced. He didn't need an old git like me to be there helping him. He brought Curtis Fleming in, who he wanted as his assistant. So we came to an agreement, shook hands and, and we move on. And I'm now looking to get back in. I feel really well. Um, I feel refreshed and just want to get back in and get, get another job as soon as I can. I know I was a bit alarmed when I saw that you you were ill and that you had mm. cancer and you you just told me before we started recording this that you you're now thankfully cancer clear. Mm. Uh, I mean that must have been a very stressful sort of few months, was it? Um, oh, it was a it was really strange. I mean, we all see these adverts around, don't we? For you know, one in two people will be hit by cancer in their lifetime, and you think, no, it's not that high. That won't happen to me and. I felt really, really well in the summer. I felt really fit. I was looking after myself. I was going to the gym three, four times a week and doing what I could as a, you know, as a, as a 55-year-old bloke. But I went to have um, just a routine health check. And I'd had a bit of a cough for about 16, 17 months that wasn't hurting, wasn't an issue. But during a COVID pandemic, you walk into a room and you're coughing and people are looking over the shoulder thinking there's something a bit dodgy going on. So... I went for this health check and um, they said, look, we want to try and get to the bottom of the cough. We don't know what it is. And um, they sent me for a CT scan just to check my lungs and my chest, see if everything's clear. And about two days later, I got a call from one of the doctors and he just said, look, I'm really sorry, but I can't tell you what your chest and your lungs are because they're perfectly clear. But on the scan, you've got a tumour on your kidney and I'm not going to flower it up in any way it's too big to be anything else. You've got cancer um, and we need to remove your kidney. So that was a real shock to the system. But I, the, the service I had, the treatment I had was absolutely first class. A surgeon at the Christie's Hospital, Mr. Gullam Hussain, took me in, uh, whipped out my left kidney. And it was quite funny, really, because when I spoke to him after the surgery and I said, you know, how was it all? Would, would everything go all right? He went, yeah, it was uneventful. And I'm like, Uneventful. You just took my bloody kidney out, you know. So, but that's the way he was. He was brilliant, really, really good. 
six weeks later, I was back on the grass at work again. Um, and I feel, I feel really, really good. No, no issues around it. And fingers crossed, I've, I've just been very, very lucky and had it found early, treated well. And, um, I'm in a good position now, so hopefully uh, that's the end of it. Well, as somebody who's known about you for a long time, and we've been friends, I think, for a long time, uh, what a great start to 2022 to find out that news and to find <laughs> out that you're a lot better. So great, great news, that, Paul. Cheers. Let me come back then to Cole Palmer. And uh, obviously you were a winger yourself. Mm. Um, you were left-footed. Um, and you look at somebody like Cole Palmer, who's... I don't know, he's probably about three foot taller than you, but, um, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not a little player. Um, I've watched him a lot, and I know that during your time at the FA, I saw you at the CFA on a few occasions, you will have seen Cole Palmer starting to come through, mm. just as you'll have seen Foden, just as you'll have seen other young players too. How, how highly do you rate Cole Palmer? Oh, really highly. I mean, the first time I saw him, I think he was probably about 13 or 14, playing at Blackburn Rovers in an under-15 floodlit cup game. And he just stood out. I mean, in this team, there was, you know, there was people like Tommy Doyle playing, uh, Deli Bashiru, uh, Taylor Harwood Bellis was playing. But Cole, even though he was a, was a really young kid playing in this team, you could just tell he had so much ability and, and really good balance about him. And he has really grown when he was when he was really young. He, he was a bit of a dot. He was he's a real skinny little kid and, and he was very small in those younger years, but he's had a massive growth spurt. He really has shot up. And then I then I then sort of followed because I at the time when I was watching that under 15 game, I was working with the England under 16. So he was actually too young to play for us. But I was watching and we had um so we had Doily, uh, we had um uh, what was uh, Dimaggio Phillips was involved as well, and I know he's left to go to Stoke, but there were some really talented boys, and you could see that Cole was going to be one who was going to come through, and he's just carried on. And I was never fortunate enough to work with him in one of the uh, one of the national teams, but everybody spoke really, really highly of him. And 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 this season he's he's coming into his own and getting first team football as well, isn't he? Does that mean you never talked to him personally, never got to know him as a person? Because I was going to ask you about his no. character. No, I didn't. No, I never I never actually, I, I don't think I've ever met him, to be honest with you. I mean, it was one of them. I, I remember after the game, um, well, I watched him, I watched them on this, this night at Blackburn Rovers. And then I also came down to the academy and watched a Saturday morning game. And I remember speaking to Mark Allen and saying, you know, tell me about this lad. How old's he? How old's he? You know, I want... I think it was 2001 birth years we were looking at at the time. And he said, oh, no, sorry, Simo, he's, uh, he's far too young for you. You, you can't have him in, in your age group. But so uh, I never actually got that opportunity to work with him. I mean, obviously, young players, the character is a really important thing. You'll, you'll know this far better than me. I mean, here's me telling you that. You can tell me that because... Lots of young players have amazing ability, but they don't all make it. Yeah. Now, I, I look at Cole Palmer when I watch him in the EDS, and there's a swagger about him, which you can see as a positive, a sort of a, mm. an arrogance, a, a real confidence. He did an interview after the game where, you know, you could tell he sort of, he was he was quite sort of, I don't know what the word is, but he was he was full of himself, but in a nice way. Yeah. And, and even when he scored that brilliant goal at Swindon, 
he'd had, I believe, he'd had a chance to cross the ball just before that, which he should have used, but he ended up putting in a brilliant goal, so it's all forgotten straight mm. away. So where do you stand in terms of, I suppose it's sort of nurture versus nature, that argument, you know, is he the type of player who needs to be brought down, will be brought down, needs to be taught the, the, the team ethic, a bit like we've had the discussion about Grealish and whether he fits the, the Pep Guardiola uh, model or is mm. Cole Palmer just such a talent that none of that really matters? Well, I think he's such a talent, but he's working in an environment with top top players, isn't he? And and the, and the way that it works, it when when you're in that first team environment. Well, we'll go back a little bit further. When you're working in an academy environment, so when he's playing in the EDS, he is considered to be top of the tree with those lads. So. When Cole makes, and, and this is me just presuming, this is how I've seen it happening. When he makes a mistake with his own, with his peer group and, and that EDS group, it's probably one of them where they go, oh, we won't say anything to Cole because he's like top doggy, so we'll just leave him. But when he goes in that first team environment, and I'm presuming he's training day in, day out with the first team lads, if he keeps doing it and it's not right, he will get a bollocking from those senior players. You know, they're not going to accept it. And when I say a bollocking, it might not be a ripping a shred off him. It's a, a strong word that, no, that's not what you do. That's not what we do here. We score for the team. We do things that are right for the team. And when you've got a talented player like that, you know, you made the point that he probably should have crossed it earlier. Well, he didn't, but eventually he'll learn that that's the it's the right thing to do to cross it in, and it's the, it's the whole it's the team ethic around it, isn't it? It's like it's not all about you, Cole. Don't you think you're World Cup Willie and you can go past everybody and bend it in that time all the all the time? It's not going to happen. So you have to mix your game up, and sometimes you're crossing it in, and sometimes you might go down the line, and 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 it's a bit of a cat and mouse game because if if I'm a fullback playing against Cole Palmer, I know he wants to come in on his left foot. So I'm going to show him down the line. Now, if he takes him down the line, and Cole Palmer's bloody quick as well over them first few yards, he takes him down the line and beats him. The next time the fullback's going to think, hang on a minute, I ain't going to get done down the line again. I'm going to give myself another yard so that it's not a, a, an equal race. Then he checks back inside on his left and he's got a little bit more space to do it. And you, you've just got to get inside the defender's head and basically just spangle his head that he hasn't got a clue whether you're going line, whether you're crossing it, whether you're shooting. It's that cat and mouse game that, that Cole's got and he just needs to make sure he keeps getting consistent end product when he's done all his little tricks and flicks and stuff like that. Perhaps you need to be in City's uh, coaching staff telling him that, Paul. <laughs> I need you, a job, Jesus. experience on that side. Go on, <laughs> sorry, I, I talked over you then. I say I need a job, keep going. Yeah. No, <laughs> it, it, listen, it, it, they have got some some top coaches there. I'm quite sure they're doing it. You know, you, you look at the work, that the, the improvement in somebody like Raheem Sterling over the years, What how effect, effective he's becoming now. You know, the... My big thing about wide players, and it was something that I used to try and focus on all the time. And unfortunately, towards the end of my City days, I wasn't quick enough to keep up with David White going down the right-hand side. And when Whitey was crossing it into the box, I was just outside of the areas where I knew I needed to be because my little legs couldn't get me up there quick enough. And, and you've just got to... Raheem Sterling has now got himself into those positions where he's scoring goals consistently. And that's what he needed to add to his game. He's done that. Cole Palmer is a player who, who needs to make sure there's consistent end product at the end of his little mazy runs. Phil Foden, 
he's just got everything. He can see a pass. He's got ability to go past people. He's a, a waif of a lad. He's getting bigger and stronger, but he's a waif. He's got that, that real core stability that when he's got big brutes trying to knock him off it, he's just got unbelievable balance that he can stay on his feet and he can glide past people. And I've watched Phil for years and I've, I've been fortunate enough to work with Phil with, with the under-19s. And at times you stood there as a coach going, how the bloody hell did he do that? How did he get out of that situation? But he's just got so much ability that, and, and that's being coached and coached and developed through the staff that they've got there. If I was to ask you, and this is a game everybody likes to play, if I was to ask you to nail your colours to the mast, who's the better player, Cole Palmer or Phil Foden? I've got to say Phil. I have to say Phil Foden, really. Um, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, he didn't do particularly well on the camp when he was with me. They had a, we had a couple of little issues with him and, and Jaden Sancho at the time that I had to leave him out of two games. Um, but he's... His ability was incredible, real talented player. Um, I, there's a possibility Cole could go on and be even better. But for, for what I've seen so far, Phil is just head and shoulders above any young player I've seen for a long time. Well, thanks for that honest answer. Uh, I know we've got you for another 10 minutes or so. So rather than, I'm going to sort of break the format of what I normally do in the podcast here, because we've had Louisa and Paul, the other Paul, listening intently, um, and I'm sure fascinated by what you've been saying. I'm going to invite them to now, to to if they want to ask you a question. Now, this can be about your playing days, Paul, or it can be about anything that you've just said. So I can see Paul's chomping at the bit here. Um, so you I'm put them right on the spot in. here, haven't you, Cheesy? Because they didn't even know I was coming on. <laughs> oh, absolutely, me. they didn't. Uh, and I know that Louisa does a lot of uh, research, so her research is in the bin now. So that's why I'm giving her a few more seconds. So go on, Paul, I'm going to unleash you. What do you want to ask of the other, Paul? It's great to see you again, Paul. And fantastic you've got over your, your problems that you had. Thank you. Um, as a speedy winger myself, I, I played I played more rugby than I did um, than, than than football. But um, who who'd be quicker? Who'd be quicker in 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 your day? Who was your quickest player you played with compared to probably Carl Walker? Now, who'd be your speed um, merchant? And you were very quick, obviously, Paul. But I think it was probably Dave White. Whitey was just absolutely rapid. Um, you know, especially over a, once he got his legs going and he got that ball out of his feet. And, you know, it, it, I, I don't know. I mean, the, to be honest, the, the pair of you don't look old enough to remember when I played in the 80s. But <laughs> it was a different type of game because now, you know, we're talking about we, we're talking about Cole Palmer playing as a, as a left footed winger. But they, they predominantly play on the right hand side. So it's more, you know, even um, Riyad Mahrez tends to play right hand side, but they want to sort of drop that right shoulder and step inside and do something with the left foot. In our day, it was, if you're a winger, and, he, and he, he, the shout used to be, get some chalk on your boots, lad, and you had to get yourself right <laughs> up against the touchline and receive it. And, and you had to go down the line. It was, I mean, obviously, you could come inside, but the main aim of the game was to get down the line, get crosses in, and we had... You know, when I when I made my debut, we had big David Cross, who was in the box and, and Dennis Stewart and Steve Kinsey, not not particularly big guys, 
but Crossy wanted the ball to be crossed in for him, for him to go and compete aerially. Um, we then went with um, Paul Stewart came into the club and Stewie wanted things up in the air and, and this type of thing. And it, it's a different type of game now, isn't it? You know, I mean, you very rarely see a city goal now where a winger goes running down the line and, and a, a headed goal scored. You know, if, it's funny because last summer I did it when, uh, not last summer, 2019, uh, 2020 summer, I did a, a bit of a research project for the FA around crosses into the box. And I looked at all of the Premier League teams, looked at the national teams, all the six, uh, 15s through to the seniors, looking at crossing areas. What was the most effective? How many players get in the box? Where are they scoring from? Is it a header? Is it a volley? Is it, you know, everything ridiculous. My brain was pickled. And, and the big thing that I picked up at City was Kevin De Bruyne and um, Kyle Walker crossing from what, what we used to call a box cross where somebody would go down the line and then they'd set it back to the 18-yard box and first time they'd whip this crossing. And it, 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 it's a little bit similar to what was in our day with the type of crossing, but a different area. You know, if we didn't get to the byline and cross it, there was a a loud voice coming from the dugout that we needed to get to the byline. You need to take your fullback on, but City have changed it now. They've changed the style that they go. They're trying to attract two, two defenders to come with them, set it back. And you normally find De Bruyne on one side or Silver on the other side or whoever it might be is, is doing that little box cross from just outside the 18. And, and as the ball travels, defenders are coming out and midfielders are making runs in. And that's how City score a hell of a lot of goals. So, you know, I've digressed there, but for in my day, David White was certainly the quickest. That that familiar ball that you see now where it's played from just beyond the edge of the penalty area, inside mm. the fullback, that short ball. Bernardo is the one who benefits a lot from that down the left-hand side. Yeah. It is, it's, it's, I've seen other teams start to copy that as well, but yeah. it wasn't as as regularly done. 10 years, well, five years ago, really, was it? No, not at all. No, and it was a big thing. And, and City do it a lot, as I said, with, with Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo and, and, and Kyle Walker. But Liverpool, with Trent Alexander-Arnold and Jordan Henderson, they were really effective as it, uh, at doing it. The, the other team who are, or at the time, were the highest crosses in the Premier League were Burnley, but theirs was a different type of cross. And, it, and when I was making the comparison, when Burnley tried to do it, listen, Burnley have got top players, but they're not at the level of, of Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva and Kyle Walker, and they weren't getting the effectiveness as what City and, and also Liverpool were getting by doing it. Louisa, have you got a question you'd like to uh, to ask our guest, Paul Simpson? Yeah, why not, Paul? And it is absolutely amazing to see you looking so well. So, um, Thank you. you know, great to see you tonight. Uh, yeah, I, I guess on a similar theme, really, of if you could pick one player uh, from since we since we won the championship in 2012 up until today, if you could pick one player that you would wanted to have, have played with, um, you know, since 2012, so almost 10 years, mm. what would that player be and why? Do you know what? It's a, it's a really strange one because they've got some top players. As a, as a wide player, I wanted, I would have wanted to play with Aguero, without a doubt. But I think I'm going to take it away from players and I would love to have worked under Pep Guardiola because I just look at how, how effective he's been at making people better. And, and I say people because I don't just mean as players. I think he's making people better as well off the grass. Um, and 
I would have loved the opportunity to have to have worked with somebody like him because I'm not sure if you're aware that in in my playing days when I, I joined Man City in 1982 um, I left Carlisle um, I, I was just turning 16 when I first started at City. I thought you were a schoolboy is that right was you still a schoolboy or? Well I just left school I, I'd, I'd done my my sort of final year at school I, don't, I think you call it yearly year 11 now but we were like last year fifth year we were in but I think it's year 11 now and um, I'd finished it and and came into City as an apprentice and we didn't get coached you weren't coached at City you lit you had to know the game it was as simple as that if you didn't know the game and I learned the game from playing football on the street in Carlisle and playing for my school's teams and playing for my local team. There was no academy system where you coach from under nine through and you came in and, and you'd be saying, you know, you'd get a, yeah, a rollicking after a game. Like, well, I didn't know that. Well, you have to know it. You have to know the game. It was as simple as that. And if you didn't, you just got slaughtered. You know, it was as simple as that. And I, I was really fortunate. I made my debut at 16. But I, I'll sit here now and quite openly say, I knew nothing about the game at that point. And it was a case of making mistakes as you're going. And, and when I was making the mistakes, it would be Paul Power saying to me, Simo, you don't do that. That's not what you do. You do it like this. And Neil McNabb and uh, who else? The Bobby McDonald, Kevin Bond, the, these sort of experienced players who, who were saying, no, that's not what you do. And they weren't quite as polite as that. They'd tell you straight and you, you just, you learnt and you think, I ain't doing that again. Then, if that's what's going to happen, I'm going to change my way. And um, but now it's totally different. And you know, I, I look at the way that City are coached, and and I would have loved that opportunity to to have had a chance to work under somebody like him. I to- I, mean, I can't just- disagree with you whatsoever because I've got quite a few notes on some of the points you've made tonight already that yeah. I would find like to pop into the pod at some point regarding Pep's coaching and regarding the the you know the the way the the players are developed. But uh, can I just get another cheeky one in and just ask you out of your I think eighteen goals for City, um, do you have a favourite? goal you scored from why um well I remember my first one um against Cardiff um a volley from about 15 yards out something like that but my favorite has to be the goal on the final day of the season when we beat Charlton and there was a big punt it I think it had snow on it when it came down and there was a young goalkeeper didn't know whether to come out and take it and I nicked in and scored it and it's one of them things that's on YouTube and my boys I've got three boys now who just hammer me about the celebration afterwards because I still to this day have no idea what I was trying to do or what I did. And in those days, we uh, trust me, we didn't rehearse uh, celebrations. And you can tell from my celebration that day that that was not rehearsed. But but that that goal and that game and that atmosphere at the old main road, that will stick with me for forever. That it was just a magnificent day for everybody. I My think, favourite I think Paul as a fan. Sorry, well. um, sorry, I think as I a fan. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you stepping in at the last minute, Paul, and, and giving us some of your time. And I'm going to let you go in a minute, but okay. I'm going to ask you one more question before you go. Mm. Um, we've talked, and, and one of the topics that's come up among fans and fans forums, wherever you look, really, at the moment, is Jack Grealish. Obviously, he was signed for hundred million pounds in the summer, and he's not quite hit the ground running yet. And you, the reason I'm asking you this question is because you've just talked about working with Pep, and we've talked about the character of footballers as well. Um, 
are you confident that, that we're going to see the best of Jack Grealish at Manchester City? Because he does, without I don't mean this in in a in a really personal way, but he does seem to have some character flaws, and there are those and and he, and he doesn't seem to me to be a pet player. I want him to succeed. I want him to mm. be you know, the best player that's ever walked on the planet. But at the moment, I have a little bit of anxiety. So I'm looking to you for a little bit of reassurance or at least an opinion on on him. Yeah, I, I, I'm absolutely sure he will be a success. Over time, I, I really do think he will be. And, and it's really funny because, listen, he's a, he's a really good player. He's really effective. At Aston Villa, it was as if the whole, not even just the team, the whole club was was built around Jack Grealish. He was the whole focal point of the team. He was one of their own. He was everything was built around him. You know, their the, the success or failure rate when he was in and out of the team was was incredible, um, and he was really really effective. Now he's gone to Manchester City, and he's 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 now not the top dog at the club yes he was massive fee that they paid for him but he's not the top dog so he's, he's he's in a different sort of scenario and that's probably a big challenge that he has to he has to be able to grasp and he's got to be able to deal with now I've always had this opinion of Jack that yeah he's a good player but I'm not really sure he's for me and we played against Villa in a pre-season friendly when I was at Bristol City and, and it was at um the game was played at Vale of Glamorgan, which is in the Wales training centre where uh, Aston Villa were there on a, on a pre-season camp. So I'm stood on the sideline and he was playing wide left just in front of me. And it just smacked me across the face. What a top, top player he was because I was so close to seeing him. He was like, He's, he's old school in his physical makeup because he's got old-fashioned, huge thighs and calves like footballers used to have in the old days. You know, he's a real throwback in his physical build. We had players who were trying to kick lumps out of him in pre-season games, and he just rode every tackle, got up, got on with it, didn't make a fuss of it. And honestly, I changed my opinion on him on that day because I thought, wow, you've you've really impressed me the way you've gone about it, your temperament, um, your ability to go past players. And I think if everybody's patient and if he can just get his brain into the, into the mode that he's not the top dog, but his ability will definitely come through. And I think he could be a hell of a player in, in that group of, of players that they've got. He could be one hell of a player for them. You've made me feel a lot better now, Paul, and I trust you implicitly. <laughs> Um, Paul, thanks very much for, for stepping in at the last minute. What we need to do is invite you back again in a few weeks when you can come on for the full hour. Uh, no problem. Because the amount you've given us in that first half an hour or just over um, it is sensational. So thanks very much for your time. Pleasure. Great to see you again. See you both. So Cheers. Paul is now going to leave us. Um, what I'm going to say, though, is that we've still got the other Paul and we've got Louisa. Now, you've been, you two have been listening to that, I know, and I can tell from your body language that you've been enjoying that as much as I have. So there are a whole load of things. I'm going to start with Louisa because she said she was taking notes and had some things she wanted to come back on. So no pressure, Louisa. But um, what, what do you want to say on what you've, what you've just heard and, and the thoughts that Paul's put into your mind? 
yeah I'd, I'd kind of made notes um after the the uh, Swindon match and you know and was thinking about saying them tonight and Paul was just hitting almost everyone on the head that I wanted to say and you know generally about the team when he first when Paul still started off talking about how we played against uh Swindon the other night um and I'm not going to take anything away from Swindon because I thought they played like a mid to lower Premier League team the other night they were incredible and they were a great team to play and some of their players McCurdy um, and I can't remember the other guy's name it was the defender's name off the top of my head um, I'll get it in a second um, were, were outstanding and that McCurdy absolutely deserved that goal as well he worked his socks off that match so what a good I'm just going to interrupt you though keep your thought process but I want to mention McCurdy because I've just been I, I write a newspaper column every week which appears in the Tameside Reporter and the Glossop Chronicle and I, and I tweet out the links and people can read it on the on the net as well and actually I've McCurdy has been a big part of what I've been saying because it felt to me like going to Swindon on Friday night was like going back in time um you know that the ground was was an old-fashioned ground I'm sure Paul will have views on this in a minute but it was an old-fashioned ground um you know and, and it wasn't in the best of condition and they ran out of alcohol they ran out of food and drink the terrace had no proper toilets they were all you know porter cabins and everything and there was this McGurdy who from where I was sat watching the game just reminded me of a player from the 70s with his hair you know not like me and Paul you know with a sort of um you know <laughs> all, all um slick and uh, and streamlined but you know he had that 70s haircut I, I've described him in my column which you'll have to read um, as a mini Frank Worthington, socks down around his ankles a little bit. And, and he so much reminded me of what the football as well that I used to watch in the 70s. So I just had to say that when you brought him up. But um, I've, I've a read of that. So carry on with your thread. And I hope I haven't spoiled it for you, Louisa. No, absolutely not. No, I remember the other guy's name, Hayden, as well. Uh, he started off, he blew my mind straight away, you know, and then McCurdy came along and, and blasted everybody. Um, but the team, our team as a whole, the other day, played amazingly and what I want to say is that there are many teams across this planet that have good players or great players and then they may have one exceptional player or maybe up to four exceptional players and when the going gets tough sometimes those one to four exceptional players pull that team through win the matches for them and incredible but Manchester City right now Every single one of those players on the pitch is exceptional, including Cole Palmer, including, you know, including the young boys right now. They're really stepping up. They're really stepping the game up. But I'm so proud at the moment of our team. It might not last forever, but then again, it might do. But look, we are well above your Paris Saint-Germain's now. We're well above all these big teams around the world because they don't have 11 exceptional players on the pitch right now. How lucky are we to be graced right at this moment in time with all those 11 players plus whoever's on the bench um so that's the team generally um but what i want to say as well is you can have a naturally born gifted player who we do see them we, we saw it in mccurdy and paul was saying that they saw it in Grealish all those years ago we can all we could all be a scout i think if we're a genuine football fan we could all genuinely be a scout because we can see talent even at a very young age or even in, in a really sort of lower league team. You can see it, can't you? And um, I think that 
you can have players that are great and they could go to a lower team, even in another division, and they'll be that great exceptional player for that team. But compared to a standard like City or Paris Saint-Germain or Chelsea, you know, I think that our academy now is evolving these guys to be exceptional. So when we first saw Phil Foden, he was great, but I didn't buy it initially. And it's the development of the coaching staff that have made him the player he is today and they'll make him an even greater player. So I think that, I don't know if this is making sense, but if he went to, to say he went to Swindon next week and he will be their best player for the rest of time, but he still possibly couldn't cut it against the Premier League sides. But our academy is going to make him one of the best players in the entire world. And that is under Pep. Pep's the captain of this ship. This is all Pep's style. This is Pep's coaching team. So Pep is going to leave us, when he leaves us, with this legacy, with this amazing legacy of bringing a good or a great player up to untouchable. And I, I you know, I'm getting chills of the thought of the legacy he's going to leave us because we know Pep's not going to be with us forever as well. And to see somebody like Phil Foden, and now we're talking about uh, Cole, we're talking about him, you know, this new guy again. Last year did quite well in the FA Cup, getting the cup games. You could see it. You could see the other young lads that were playing with him as well, that were being brought on as well. But the way he played the other night, oh my gosh. That was, you're talking about Ronaldo, Steve McManaman, Ryan Giggs, all that trickery with his feet. That ball was magnetised to his feet. Who could get that ball off him the other night? Nobody. And that ball was stuck to him. And everywhere he turned, whichever way he turned, the ball was still at his foot when he turned round. Yeah, he's got a few things to learn. Of course he does. Yeah, he might get shouted at a little bit. Young lad, he's only just coming into the team. But if he can do that the other night, what can he do? And can you imagine one day when he's going down one side, Phil Foden's down the other? You might, we might hopefully still got Cal Walker around. And then we've got someone like Sterling. This is the speed I want in our team. I want our players flying down our wings, flying down the centre of the pitch, absolutely running and firing the goals in. That's it. I mean, Louise has not been on for a week or two. It's like she's been coiled up and all this has been building up inside her. And now we've just unleashed it from her. So we've had a, the brilliant Paul Simpson. We've now had uh, that big um, assault, uh, verbal assault <laughs> from Louisa. Well, how do you follow that, Paul? I mean, we can talk about how mate John <laughs> pressing the button well, we and going viral. Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably more about I could discuss after that. Louise, that was... Um, I could hear the drums beating in the background and the uh, the bagpipes playing as we marched over the, the hill into battle there with that talk. It was fantastic. <laughs> um, can't follow that, Louise. I can't follow it. But that is exactly what, you know, every every City fan of a certain age, that is exactly what we've wanted to see for years and years and years. And, and that's the reason that when you go on social media, that every single other fan base, you've got two fan bases. You've got those who no football and admire what City are doing and they come out and congratulate and, you know, Swindon, you know, they, they, they were full of praise. The fans were coming out, the management staff, the players were coming out saying, what a great set of fans, what a great team to watch and thank you for coming kind of thing. And then you've got the other fan base that basically, yeah, but you'd expect us to be that good with all that money you've got and blah, 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 blah. 
you can have all the money in the world. It doesn't matter. City had all the money in the world to start with. But until we got Pep Guardiola coaching and got the players that he wanted that could that were capable of understanding what he wanted from him, because the first season we had him, you know, we, we weren't tearing up any trees, were we? And I'm thinking like, oh, God, what, you know, this guy, this guy is supposed to be this, that and the other. And, you know, we've gone backwards. But we hadn't. He was just, he was just basically getting rid of the players he, he couldn't coach to his standard. And we're all going, oh, Joe Hart, you know, he's still to be a riot when he goes. But there wasn't, was there? Because we brought players in and you could see why he brought the players in that he did. And every single player that's come in, I, I think apart from, I'm trying to think of the player that probably came in and, and didn't hit the ground running. Um, I don't think we've had one. I think every player who's come in has took a bit of time. And every time that player comes in his second season, then we start seeing what that player is about. And that is down to the genius, the living God, that is Pep Guardiola. Um, just on the Phil Foden thing, I mean, if you look back at some of the podcasts, I think me and Ian were quite sort of, not critical, but I think we were kind of had our doubts, like Louisa was saying. You know, we, you know, we, we, I, I got told that like, oh, you know, he's a young kid and you shouldn't be so hard on him. And I'm like, well, no, I saw more in that player to come out than actually did come out initially. And I was concerned of his temperament, and, and I still am, to be honest. And I was a bit more concerned there when when um, when Simo mentioned about him and Sancho and he was a problem in training. Because I see that Phil Foden has that. You know, he's, he's, he's kind of got that player in him and, and, and that mentality in him. And I think he could be a little bit of a nuisance, to be honest. That's why he was kept out of the first team and the first team drew him in got his temperament right, but I still see he's got that little bit of a fire in his belly. Not knocking it, but this is why me and Ian at the beginning were sort of saying, you know, hold your horses, let's not get him in, let's not get him in as soon as he could, because he had he wasn't ready. He's now ready. Cole Palmer is now ready. He just comes in and, you know, he's had enough time of Pep's coaching, which has transversed down every single team in that club, including the ladies, play the Pep way. Every single team. Um, I've don't watched. I've, I mean, I've, did they get out of under fives? Because if they do, I think they'll be playing the same way. Where other under fives will be just running around chasing the ball. Our under fives will be passing back to the keeper and building up from the back. And we saw Swindon try to do it. Bless him. Doesn't work, does it? You know, it's dead easy playing from the back, isn't it? Unless you've got the right personnel in the right places and the right work ethic, you ain't going to get it. And every single Premier League team now to play tries to play from the back. And how many come unstuck? It's, it's, it's dead easy. All, all you need to do is throw loads of money at a football club and sign all the best players in the world and then you end up with Man City, don't you? Well, watch Newcastle and think again and have, have, we'll have the argument again when Newcastle have uh, spent all their money. Let's see what's happening there. Based on everything you've just said then, Paul, um, I assume that you read what Alan Davis, the comedian, the Arsenal fan, said about Manchester City. I, I wonder what your views are on that. Well, to be honest with you, I've never heard of Alan Davis until this kind of thing came out. And apparently it was, it was something big in the days of Tony Slattery and all the, the rest of the old uh, sort of lefty, sort of pompous, righteous comedians that were out there at the time. Um the man's a clown, obviously, and he's he's been watching too much of Arsenal fan TV. Um, it's a podcast I've never listened to. Um, I won't ever listen to. Um, 
the, the, the bit the, the bit I heard from it was it was embarrassing. And I mean, to be honest, Ian, there's no way that I or any other guest on your podcast would be allowed to get away with that. Not that you'd have us on in the first place, it's then with the views that we had, but you'd cut it short and you certainly won't be cheerleading in the background to, uh, you know, to encourage us to do that because it was bang out of order, totally unprofessional and embarrassing, to be honest. And that's somebody who, you know, does a few podcasts and, you know, the views the views that you have, you can't, you can't put across like that. It was like a little kid um, in the playground having a rant, you know, and, and another thing, and another, it's that Kevin Keegan moment, wasn't it, you know, and another thing that I'll tell you and go and play, go and play on your bit, you know, your, pitch made of sand and it's embarrassing and the guy the guy obviously has never watched City never followed City and doesn't know football all he is he's a, he bangs a drum for Arsenal um, and he needs to get on Arsenal fan TV and have a full slot on that because that's that's where them attitudes are, are used not on you know professional proper podcasts like this one Ian Well thanks for saying that Paul I mean I believe that being respectful, I mean, you know, everybody can say what they want. I hear things on the terraces at away games sometimes. In fact, Harlan was with me at Swindon and said to me, I gave him a lift down there when he was in the car with me on the way back. And even he said that there were one or two chants that he didn't approve of from the City fans. Um, so we can't, we don't agree. I mean, those are fellow City fans and, and I'm not going to, I don't mean that in a nasty way. I'm not going to have a go at them. Um, but we're all different. And I suppose what I try to do on, on my podcast, on the vlogs that I do, is to be respectful. We can still have fun. We can still have banter. We can still not like the opposition. I still want United to lose lose every single game they play. You know, that's that's part of being a City fan. Um, but there is also a respect that there, there should be. Um, and that's that's what I try to do anyway. And uh, what you put out on social media, what you put out on Twitter, sometimes people will say it's clickbait or whatever. I try to resist that at all, at all costs. But if you put something on there that's trying to sell something, then by definition, it's almost clickbait. But if it's if it's deliberate, provocative for the sake of it or nasty for the sake of it, then that is the worst type of clickbait in my my opinion. And uh, I wouldn't keep inviting the people back onto my podcast if I didn't think that they were the the right type of people. So thanks for saying that, Paul. Um, did you, have you read any of the things that, I don't want to give too much of the podcast to this subject, but have you, have you anything you want to say on that, Louise, or anyway? Um, I, I did think about this before because I did have a quick look at, uh, I obviously didn't hear it, I didn't listen to the podcast, but I did have a quick look online. Um, and I kind of didn't want to sort of, bite back at them because then that's just me acting the way they're acting and and I I agree with you I don't want to act like that you know I'm not that kind of a fan um I'm, I'm sort of sorry that he's been pulled into it because if you look at the podcast Twitter page just you don't have to scroll all the way down I wasn't scrolling forever I just did I think I just did one scroll down um and you know there's there's not a lot of respect from some of the tweets that have gone out for a few different subjects um so I'm I'm kind of hoping they're a fairly new podcast I don't unless they've just got a new Twitter page but since 2020 it says on it um I'm kind of hoping that any other Arsenal fans that are that have a name that will help them along because you know we're, we're all in a podcast and we all want listeners and we all want help along anyway um you know maybe um they maybe the 
I think that Lewis Hamilton's an Arsenal fan um, and I'm kind of hoping that somebody like him wouldn't entertain it, you know, wouldn't go on it when, as they are right now. Um, but hopefully um, they don't want to be a clickbait. They don't want to be the sensational podcast that they're currently being. And they would like to be a respected podcast, you know, where they can then attract um celebrity fans of the club and that's really nice for them and I do wish them well and I wish them luck um it's just it's just is a bit of a shame and I just think it's sour grapes um me as a comedian maybe he was just being sarcastic comedic I didn't hear it so I can't I, I can only comment on what I read um but you know at the end of the day we're still all human beings and you know they're human beings behind it so who knows I wish them luck well, on the subject of clickbait and going viral, <laughs> um, Paul and I travelled to away European games with our mutual friend, John Baker, who is at Citizen Baker on Twitter. And hats off to him. Um, he took his daughter with him to Swindon. He was actually on my match day vlog that I did after the game, give us an opinion. And at that point, I don't suppose he knew that he was going to go viral and that Piers Morgan and ESPN and goodness knows who else have been, re and Matt Lucas have been retweeting his video, which his daughter did, of him walking down to one of the photographers on the side of the pitch who had press on his back. If you're not, you must have seen this already. And a very simple video, he just walks down to the back of the guy who's got press on his back and pushes his finger against the word press. And, uh, and the guy sort of turns around and goes, what? And he goes, well, it says press on your back. And, and it's, it's it, the last time I looked, it was about eight or nine million people had watched this video. So um, I, I'm guessing um, John is now on huge royalties and will be paying for our trip to Sporting Lisbon. What do you think, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's classic because, you know, that's the, it's the kind of humour that we go with, Ian, as you probably, as you know, when we're on these trips, it is kind of dad's humour and, you know, it's sarcastic, funny, sort of simple stuff. And I said to him, as soon as I sort of saw it, and there was only a few views at that point. And I said to him, I said, you, you, on, on Twitter, so like, you need to put Benny Hill music to it because it, it was a typical Benny Hill kind of sketch where you didn't need to, there was no language, there was no talking. It was all, you know, physical. It was a physical sort of like all black and white comedy, Harold Lloyd kind of thing. And when he did, I just, initially I thought, oh, what are you doing, John? And then, as soon as he walked up to it, I could see what he was going to I just knew what he was going to do. And then uh, I, I spoke to him um, a bit earlier on, a few hours ago, and I think he'd, uh, he was up to 11 million views. So <laughs> the way things go, he might end up getting his own TV show um, and he might end up sort of getting a knighthood, you know, the things you get knighthoods for these days. So you, you just don't know. But it was just it was just so funny to see one of your pals doing something that, that he, he he would do that just just to do it anyway, you know. And that, we've done loads of stuff like that. And fortunately, his daughter videoed it, and I'm so glad she did. Funny thing is, when we go on European trips, and this is a little insight into to our trips, it's it's Paul, it's John, and it's his brother Barry. <laughs> and the one that is usually the butt of most of our jokes is actually <laughs> Barry, isn't it? We well, we call them Bazisms, don't we? A basm, um, because he just is the driest funniest person I've ever met that hasn't a clue he's being funny. Um, I don't think he knows he's being funny. He just he just does stuff. He just walks, just walks down the road and you laugh. He's, he's just one of them. 
characters that you, you you've got to have on your trip with you and it's a fantastic little team we go away with and um, it just everything just works and it's a, it's a great away trip well, I'm looking forward to the trip to Lisbon, Lisbon now, all at the expense of John from his royalties, from his <laughs> millions of views. So uh, we'll bear that in mind. Um, obviously, we've had Paul Simpson, we've had Louisa with a fantastic Paul Lake type rant, because Paul Lake is quite famous when he comes on the podcast or various radio shows I've done down the years for doing his, his Churchillian speeches. And I would put Louisa's uh, rant earlier on in the same category. Um, Paul's, Paul's added a lot of another dimension again. So it's been a great podcast and I really appreciate it. Um, City now uh, have a week build up to the big game against Chelsea. Uh, and in the previous podcast, which you two haven't necessarily been part of, I've been saying that I think that the league is done now, uh, not in an arrogant way, just feels that way to me. Uh, it certainly feels as if City were to beat Chelsea next weekend. Surely nobody's going to argue. I mean, I know still Liverpool to come at the Etihad, but pretty much all the big games are done. These days, the United game isn't even a big game, is it? It's just another game, um, you know, but that, that's the way I feel. So I'm going to ask the same question I've been asking to lots of my guests on the podcast and ask you two because I've asked it you before. Is is the title done? How big is the Chelsea game? I mean, I know COVID sometimes scuppers the, the sort of pre-match planning and the team selection, but as you've already said, Louise, or whatever team goes out, they're all world-class. You know, you, you wouldn't expect anything less than the title this season, would you? And, and is, does that make the Chelsea game a little less significant than it might have been if it had been played a few weeks ago? Uh, I, I think that it makes it so it's it's not as um, intense or as stressful. Uh, you know, we can afford to lose and draw a couple of matches. And I think the more relaxed our team is, the, the better we are, the better we perform. Um, I think that the more under pressure we are, the more we slip up. So, um, yeah, I'd like to think now we've got a nice little cushion just to make those perhaps two, three, four mistakes that, that we will probably only make from now till the end of the season. It's very good psychology anyway to be top of the league around Christmas. Doesn't necessarily always guarantee you're going to win the league. Of course it doesn't. But um, it's a very lovely psychology for the team, for the coaching staff, for the manager. You know, now Pep, Pep's been poorly. Um, so it, it's just good. It's just good psychology for the team, for the staff and for us, for the fans. Uh, Paul? Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm old school. I don't like predicting too early, but um, you can always come unstuck, can't you? Um, but yeah, it does seem that, that City, again, they're just in, we're in a bit of a league of our own. Um, I don't see any other team compete, competing with us, to be honest. Uh, you know, we've, we've, we've got, we're, we're getting through games where normally we would have come unstuck. Um, you know, we, we, we're just performing on a different level to everybody else. Pep's got everybody, you know, mentally right, I think. Um, we're not using COVID as an excuse like other teams are doing, you know, and, um, you know, we, we're getting on with our football and we're not, you know, Pep, Pep wanted to play that game because he don't want to fix your pile up. Um, other teams are going to start getting fixed your pile up and we don't want that. We can concentrate. We're at the Carabao Cup, which... You know, I'm 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 really not bothered about if that that sounds ridiculous and arrogant, but this this year I wanted to concentrate on two things, and that was the Premier League and winning the Champions League. Now the Champions League, I'm not a massive fan on Ian, as you know. 
Um, it's just one of them things that I, I want us to win. Um, it's just get the monkey off our back, get get it won. Last year, we should have won it. So this year, we've got a big point to prove when hopefully all the fans can be there and we can, um, you know, go on to win it and just get rid of that sort of like, oh, you'll never you'll never win it, you'll never win it. I just Let's win it, get rid of it, and then we can just win the league then for the next 20 years on the trot. That'll do me. What does the FA Cup feature then? I mean... Obviously, there's no replays this year, so the good thing is that you can play six games and win it. We've played one already. Got Fulham at home now in the fourth round, which, again, without being disrespectful, should be a win, especially because Pep tends to, as we saw at Swindon, pick the strongest team he can. I mean, I know there were one or two missing, but that was probably because of COVID as much as anything. You look at the, the bench, and that I think that was the strongest 11 he could have fielded. He won the game. Uh, he'll do the same, I'm sure, against Fulham. And because there's no fixture pile-up, so far at least, and fingers crossed that suddenly there isn't going to be new COVID problems that are going to cause there to be a fixture pile-up, but on the basis that there's not going to be any replays, so we know exactly how many games are left, um, you know, there's a fixed number of league games, a fixed maximum number of FA Cup ties and a fixed maximum number of Champions League games. Everything seems to be going the direction where he can really go for the FA Cup as well. Now, you just said league and Champions League, Paul. FA Cup would sit quite nicely with that and then that would be the treble that United did, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely love the FA Cup. Um I should have put them in there, really, but I'd, I'd, I'd love to... i prioritise the the league to start with. Normally, the FA Cup, but because of what happened last season and we didn't turn up and it was very disappointing, I feel I feel not arrogantly that the club owes me one. Um, you know, we jumped three weeks to get there and we did not perform. We didn't show up. It was a... It was, it was, a, it was a terrible sort of experience from, from the football point of view. Um, but yeah, FA Cup, love FA Cup. I so wish they would just bring it back like it used to be with FA Cup match of the day in the morning Then you saw the players having breakfast. And, you know, I, I just used to love that. It was it didn't matter who played. But it was, obviously, it was never really City. Um, you know, when they were in the FA Cup. So I used to watch it. It was a family thing. It was like the Grand National. We all used to sit around and, and, and watch the FA Cup. And I'd love them to to bring that format back. You know, if it's not ITV or BBC, Amazon or Netflix or anybody, bring back the old-fashioned FA Cup days because they were they were character-building stuff. I'm with you on that. And actually, um, it's all about player access as well, whether they give us the access to the players like that. And who better to answer that question than Louisa? Because Formula One podcaster, Formula One fan... And we see so much access to, pl- to, r- to drivers in Formula One on the grid just before they're about to start a race. Uh, numerous soundbite interviews in the build-up to races, very reminiscent in a funny sort of a way. I know that maybe we don't have question of sport with the players on and it's a knockout with the players on like they used to do in, you know, in, in mine and Paul's days. But there is a lot more access to players um, I, I'm guessing that if we had access to players, we could do that with the FA Cup as well, couldn't we? Like to do it with F1. 
Yeah, definitely. It's always really exciting um, to watch the you know all the days that are, that are on Sky Sports that are around the Formula One race weekends, and now we've got the Netflix Drive to Survive as well. And I think that what would be really great for football is if they had a Netflix FA Cup because I we we missing the magic of the FA Cup. I one hundred percent agree with Paul. I used to love watching what they'd film the one or two days before you know so some of the teams would stay on a nice big posh hotel on the Thames and they'd be getting them out on the Thames doing boating or whatever doing all this stuff but really funny stuff it wasn't just all dead serious you know set in production they had an idea throw it at the team or the players and then whatever happened happened and it was always really good fun to watch and you know the same go I mean all right drive to survive for F1 is definitely more um Product production, you know, they definitely know their storylines and what they want to film and what they want to put in and what they don't. But wouldn't it be wonderful if, um, you know, if they did that for the FA Cup? Because we've got our individuals, you know, we've got we had the City series on Netflix. Spurs have had theirs, and whoever else have had theirs. But um, I'm really for Formula Two. I'm massively involved in Formula Two, and they do one called Chase the Dream. And I would really love for there to be more access to their drivers as well around the races because there's not too much uh there are no, no journalists at the moment at the, at the circuits for them at the track and I would really love for that to open up as well massively and of course I'd like to be part of that and be involved in that um so yeah definitely for the football you know so excited for this FA Cup it kind of feels like it's coming back a little bit though that magic and I don't maybe it was just that Swindon match the other night maybe it's reignited what you said about feeling a bit nostalgic because it, it was just sort of more of an old school club but not old school like I mean disrespectfully to Swindon I just mean just that lovely wholesome you know any team can win kind of feel and when when their player does score a goal I was celebrating I was like oh that was amazing what a cracking goal you know we deserved that yes slide along the floor on your soaked muddy pitch it's brilliant I love it you know but what I really loved about our team the other night is sometimes a pitch like that or a club like that that's got that kind of a setup can upset like a premier prestige team can't it but it didn't prestige but um it didn't pardon the pun but it didn't <laughs> upset us this time I think sometimes our team you can sort of predict, like, if that player plays with that player, they'll play well. If that one's on the pitch and that one's on the pitch, that'll go well and it'll go like this and it'll go like that. But this season just feels so different. This season feels like it doesn't matter who's on the pitch now because they're playing well with them and they're playing well with them and they're playing well with them. So it doesn't matter. Anything's going to go this season. And I and I want to say one more point um, about we... We do really well domestically. We've actually got one of the most successful records in English football for domestic trophies. Aren't we fifth or something on the list for having the most domestic trophies? Something like that, maybe. Might have got that wrong. Sorry if I do. Write in and let me know if I have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're not doing too bad anyway on the domestic scene. So whatever we can win, I'm happy to get my hands on. Brilliant. Well, I, t- I tell you what, three fabulous, fabulous guests tonight. Uh, Paul Simpson, who was with us earlier on, Louisa, 
and Paul, my mate Paul. Um, what, what a stellar lineup! Some great stories, some great contributions. Uh, thanks very much for CharlesLouis.co.uk, the sponsor of this podcast, because without them there wouldn't be a podcast. So really appreciate their support as well. To Dave, who's a, who's a top man. Look them up on the internet, CharlesLouis.co.uk. If you're buying or selling a house, you need some advice on mortgages, commercial or private. Uh, just just contact them and tell them. I'm sure they'll try and help you. But without the, the contributions of Louisa, Paul, Paul Simpson and, and everybody else who listens as well, there wouldn't be a podcast. And tonight I've really, really enjoyed this fabulous stuff. Thank you to everybody concerned. Share it, retweet it, get the message out there. And uh, remember one thing that I always say, but it could not be more true. You know what? It's great being a blue. <laughs>